Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. I need to take you guys back to 1990. 30 years ago, and it was a very similar political climate as it is right now, we were in one of the most uh, important but contentious and divisive elections in the history of our nation. I would say it was maybe the most important election in the history of our nation. Now, if you're my age or older, you're trying to remember back 30 years ago about who was running, why was it important, who did I vote for, was I on the right side of history, was I on the wrong side of history, right, we'll get to all that here in a second. Now, some of you are thinking, because you're younger than me, you're thinking, well, in 1990, I wasn't even alive yet, so I can't even tell you who my parents voted for, and I don't remember the history course that even taught me why this was such an important time. Now, some of you are thinking, there's no way it was that important because we all know this election is the most important election of our lifetime. Now, if you're older and you don't suffer from short-term memory loss, you also know that every election is the most important election of our lifetime, right? This rallies the troops. So every time there's an election, we are told this is the most important election of our lifetime. So back to 1990. I was in third grade, and my teacher, Mrs. Johnson, wanted to teach us about government and about the election process. So she decided we were going to have a president of third grade. And that president had very serious responsibilities for a nine-year-old. You know, you get to meet with the teacher, help her plan parties, discuss some of the rules, and maybe we need to change some. Maybe they're they're too strict or, or not strict enough or Who's going to, what nine-year-old is going to say not strict enough? But you guys get the idea, right? You got to partner with this teacher and help her guide the classroom. And everyone wanted this job. Everyone wanted to be the president of the third grade class, including myself. And so I went to work. We went through the whole political process. We had banners and handouts. We even had speeches. And then, of course, we had the vote. Right? And the popular vote won. Whoever had the most tallies would be the president. And I got a great, great deal out of this. I was the last person who got to give the speech. This was a huge advantage. You see, when we went to speech day and everyone was giving their speeches, I watched very closely what the other candidates were saying. The first kid went up there, and you know what he did? He made a promise. Right, this is what I'm going to do as president. And the classroom responded. Right, Ooh, we kind of like what you're going to offer, right? And then the next person went up, and they gave other promises, bigger and better promises. And guess what happened? There was a larger response in the classroom. And this went on until the promises got more and more and more and more unrealistic. And then it was my turn. And I had to watch this transpire 
I had figured out the game. And so what did I do? I overpromised every one of the promises that came before. Now, I don't remember what my promises were, but I'm sure it was something like this. Free candy every day, free soda every day, no tests, no rules, parties and pizza constantly, right? Whatever I had to do to win, that's what I did. And guess what happened? I won the most important election of 1990. And I became the president of third grade. And you want to know how many promises that I fulfilled? I would say probably about zero. But here's what the impressive thing is. As a nine-year-old, I had already figured out the full political system, hadn't I? Right, you, you figure out what you think the people want, you overpromise, you get the votes, and then you underdeliver. Right, this is the political system that we have. Say what the people want to hear, get the votes, get into office. And then when it's time to get reelected, what do you do? You point to the promises that you actually did accomplish, and then you point to the other party saying, this is the reason I didn't accomplish the other promises, even though I probably didn't want to actually accomplish those. Then you get reelected, and if you're good at this, you do this for like 40 or 50 or 60 years, right? This is now your full-time job. This is the political system. We all have it figured out, unfortunately, right? I had it figured out as a ninth grader. Well, Tuesday is a big election. Maybe it's the most important election of our lifetime. I don't know. It's a big election. And so we have been inundated. Probably you've been inundated. I know I have, right? Every commercial, every Instagram ad, every Facebook post. And I don't even want to open my mailbox anymore because you open that thing up and out piles what? These huge, expensive, glossy pictures of the candidates and their promises. And if it's not their promises, they're telling us why the other candidate will not fulfill their promises or has broken their promises in the past, right? This is our system. And won't it be wonderful when it all ends and we don't have our mailboxes full and maybe we can just calm the waters a little bit? Well, I thought we'd do something a little bit different here at church. For the month of November, we're gonna start a new sermon series called I Promise. Not focused on the promises of our politicians that will probably fail. We're going to put our focus on the promises of God. And I thought this would just be an incredibly healthy move for us. To put our focuses on the promise of God that are made for us and the promises that will always come true. So today we're going to start our journey and I invite you to the whole month of November. So bring a friend, bring a, bring a family member. If you're watching online, maybe invite someone over to your house to watch on TV with you or at least share the link because I think this is going to be one of the best journeys we've taken together as we look at the promises, especially in this time right now, especially in this moment in history right now, when we just need something to be certain. So we're going to look at the promises of God. Today, we're going to start in the book of Matthew, and we're going to hear Christ's very own words to the people in that day, and ultimately to us. This is what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? So as Jesus starts off, we start off with this word, therefore. Now, if you've been to church a few times, if your pastor's kind of worth their salt, you've probably heard a phrase like this before. Whenever we see the word therefore, we need to figure out why the word therefore is therefore, right? 
because something is setting the stage for what Jesus is talking about. Now, here's the thing. I'm actually not gonna go back and tell you. It's kind of a surprise, right? In fact, if I told you now, it would kind of ruin the sermon. So we're just gonna hold on to that. We'll get to that later. So let's go down and we see this question proposed to us by Jesus. He says, is, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Which I think all of us would say, of course, life is so much more than that, right? Especially as Christ followers, we believe that life has a point and a purpose, right? We have a mission as believers in Christ. So of course, life is so much more than those things. But as we look closer at this question, it's a lot more challenging than we probably give it initial credit for, right? Because look at what he's saying. What he's not saying is, isn't life so much more than lavish food? Isn't life so much more than, than name brand clothes? Now, if he asked that question, I think we could all confidently say, of course, right? Because those are the niceties of life. They're not the necessities of life. But as we look deeper into this question, this is where we get that tension because these are the necessities of life. You see, if we don't have water, we're gonna die. If we don't have food, we're gonna die. If we don't have clothes on and we're exposed to the elements, we're gonna die. Or if we don't have clothes on, we might just be embarrassed and wanna die, right? It's one of those things, right? But either way, we're going to die. So Jesus, these are the things we stress about. These are the things we worry about. Why can life, or why should life seem, seem like it doesn't really require these things? Because obviously it, it does. Well, he goes on. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? So as we dive into this complex teaching, Jesus does something what any good teacher would do, right? He uses a metaphor. A metaphor is what, where we take a complex idea and we bring it down into a simple understanding. So he uses a bird, right? Why shouldn't we worry? Well, look at the bird, right? The bird has everything supplied for them. As we think through this metaphor, we start seeing these things be true, right? A bird has water because there's lakes and rivers and maybe it rains and there's a, a little you know, pond that forms and they can drink out of that. So yeah, God provides the water. And if they need food, they just land and they grab a worm, right? And they have nourishment. And of course they have feathers, just naturally occurring feathers. So they have all the three major necessities that cover them. But then Jesus goes on and says something interesting. He says, aren't you more valuable than the bird? Now, he's not saying the bird has no value. He's just saying that you're much more valuable. But it seems kind of convoluted because Jesus, if the bird is less valuable than me, then why are you supplying these three things automatically for the bird? He doesn't have to harvest. He doesn't do anything. They're just all there. So how am I more valuable? Well, he goes on. He says, and can any of you by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life. So as we continue this conversation about the things that we worry about from day to day to day to just get pie, he says, don't worry. Now, don't raise your hand, but you can nudge your spouse if you need to or, or your family member. Do we have any people that have ever been called worry warts in the room, right, or stress monkey? I don't know if you guys use that term. 
right? There's people who just kind of have this natural anxiety in your life, right? You're naturally nervous, you're naturally anxious, and, and you kind of know who you are, right? That's who you are. And in 2019 or before, you were unique and special, and you got a special label. But in 2020, we all fit this category, don't we? Because before, we all coped with stress by planning, right? We, we took the bull by the horns, we had some control, and we had predictable outcomes. And guess what we can't do right now? You can't plan for anything, it's coming off your calendar. There's no predictable outcomes and we have no control, which means we are society. We are society that is full of anxiety and stress and worry. And this is what we know. We know that that stress and anxiety is not lengthening our lives. What is it doing? It's reducing our lives. Because if you read anything about medicine, you know that stress and anxiety actually works against you and destroys you and shortens your life. Well, Jesus goes on with this conversation. He says this next. And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. You see, as Jesus begins to tell and continues working through these metaphors, he knows what we're thinking, right? He knows that, hey, maybe when we think about the bird, we can see how water is provided and food is provided. And if we're really like wildernessy, right? If we're like a Bear Grylls type, if we got shoved out into the wilderness, you know, maybe I could find a puddle and I could drink out of it. I probably would get a little sick, but I could do it. I could survive. I could maybe eat like a grub or something if I had to or chew on some grass to get by. It wouldn't be a long-term fix, but I could survive, right? Maybe I'm really manly and I could do that or I've watched enough TV that I can kind of figure out how to navigate that. But we still have this problem with the clothing that's not answered yet. Because we could go into the wilderness and maybe cover ourselves with leaves, but if I took you outside right now, as cold as it is, you know that's not gonna work, right? It is not a long-term solution, it is a short-term solution, and you're not gonna last very long in the elements. So Jesus keeps working through his metaphors, and we're still waiting for one of these metaphors to work for us, right? To have that perfect analogy. So now he's talking about lilies. Okay, now we're talking about a plant versus an animal. And the plants, they have roots, right? They get the water and nutrients. So they have the water and food just naturally provided. And then they have this beautiful exterior, almost like clothing that protects them and, and takes care of them and, and helps them grow and be protected, right? That's what a lily is. And lilies are beautiful, right? They're beautiful. In fact, he makes this comparison of Solomon, who is one of the richest men to ever walk the face of the earth. And I'm telling you, you know he had nice clothes, you know he had nice clothes. You know he had name brand clothes for that day. And, and Jesus says, the lilies are more beautiful than that, which of course I think we can agree, that our best creation as humans will never exceed God's best creation. But still we have this problem. Solomon had to buy his clothes. Someone had to make his clothes. They were manufactured, right? They didn't just naturally appear. Like the lily naturally appears. So Jesus goes on to our next metaphor, this is what he says. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So now we're on to our third metaphor. And already you know this one doesn't work either, right? Because it's the same thing, it's a plant. It's not a fancy plant this time, it's a basic plant. 
right? Grass is grass. When it rains too much, we're annoyed because we have to mow. When it doesn't rain enough, it's brown, it's ugly. Sometimes it grows where we don't want it, right? It's just grass. But grass is the same thing God provides. There's water and food and nutrients, and it has this exterior naturally built in that's a protective element. And then Jesus calls us out and says, you have little faith, which seems kind of ironic and almost offensive because we still haven't had our question answered. Right? At the very least, we don't have clothing naturally produced. So Jesus, what are you saying? Well, this is where he's going. He says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what will you eat or what will you drink or what will you wear? <laughs> Once again, we haven't had our question answered. We're still worried about our food. We're still worried about our drink. We're still worried about our clothing. But here comes the solution. This is what Jesus says. For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. Indeed, your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need all of these things. So as Jesus continues, he starts kind of whittling it down to the point. He's taking us to the conclusion. He starts by setting this contrast. There's Jewish people and there's Gentile people. Now, typically in Scripture, when we're talking about that, we're talking about the Jewish people, right? Those who are genetically Jewish and then those who are Gentile, which is all, all of us. But in this context, what he's saying is there's those who have an understanding of the world that's different than the rest of the world. They see God as a real, loving, personal entity. That's the Jewish understanding. But everyone else, they don't see the world that way. They don't see God as somebody who cares about them, who loves them, that wants to provide for them. And if you live in this camp, this life is all we have. And if this life is all we have, guess what? You're gonna get what you're gonna get while well, you can get it before it's done. That's the world's philosophy. But Jesus is taking us somewhere. He's saying, but when you see the world differently, when you see that it has a point and a purpose and there's a loving God who cares for you, it begins to change things. It begins to change how you understand your provisions. This is where it goes next. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now we're getting somewhere. See, what is he saying? He's saying, put your focus on the things of God, on the kingdom of God. Put your focus on the king. And then when you do this, then everything else will be like the lily, the bird, and the grass. And if you can put your focus and if you can move in the direction of God, then naturally everything else will take care of itself. Now what this doesn't mean, just to be clear, it doesn't mean that we just live our lives cavalier, right? We don't say, well, I'm gonna sell all my stuff, I'm just gonna move on, I'm gonna empty my bank accounts, and I know God will provide because I love Jesus. Of course, that's not the implication. But what he's saying is if you follow in his footsteps and do the things that he's called you to do, you will not have to stress about these things because they will naturally provide. They will naturally come to you. And here's the punchline. This is where he closes. And this is where it really, really, really makes sense. This is really where he drills down. He closes with this statement. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. So Jesus closes with these words of truth. This is our gift to us. 
right? God's word is a gift to us. And what he's saying here, let me, let me simplify it for you so you have some handles on it, you can take it home, you can use it, is what he's saying is this. Control what you can control and leave the rest up to God. Control what you can control and leave the rest up to God. You see, stress and worry and anxiety, oftentimes that's a good thing in our lives. If you're in school right now and your teacher says, your project is due on Friday, guess what? You have stress, worry, anxiety. But guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna complete your project, won't you? By Friday. When your boss comes storming into your office and says, where is that paper? That stress, anxiety, and worry gets that job done, doesn't it? When that bill shows up and says, past due, you pay the bill. Those elements in our lives that we are called to do things and accomplish goals and that stress, anxiety is good. But here's where it gets unhealthy. When we try to control the things that only God can control. Right, when we worry and stress about the things that we were never called to worry and stress about. So God says, control what you can control, worry about today, and the rest you just give to me. See, this is one of the beautiful truths and the beautiful things about our relationship with Jesus Christ. We know we have a God that loves us, that wants to take care of us. And this is the promise that we trust in today. We know we have a God that promises to provide. Now, what this doesn't mean is we just throw off the shackles and do whatever we want to do and live cavalier and we just truck through Walmart and touch everyone and kiss everyone, right? No, we don't do that even though God is in control. We still call to be wise, right? We control what we can control. So this Tuesday, we have an election. So we sit down as believers and we pray and we seek God's guidance for who we should vote. And then we cast our ballot. And then... We trust God to control the rest. This means that tomorrow when you wake up, you take your morning vitamin. You schedule that workout time. You eat healthy. And then you give the rest up to God. Right? We don't stress about the things that we can't control. This means that we go to work, we work hard, we get our paycheck, we budget, and then we leave the rest up to God. You see, this Tuesday... About half of us are, are going to lose. And about half of us are going to win. But all of us are going to have promises broken to us. I can guarantee you that. But this is what we get to hold on to as believers. Not the White House. We hold on to God's promises. And God promises to always provide. Amen.